It is good to be together. I'm Reverend Nicole Riley, lead and teaching pastor here. And welcome to you if you are in the room, and welcome to you if you are online with us today. If you would like to follow along, you can do so with our app. You'll see information there which will help you follow along with the sermon, give you all the scriptures and and the basic outline. I want to start with a little confession. Are you ready? I love HGTV. (laughs) I love to watch Love It or List It, Flip or Flop, and because I live in a tiny house, I really love Tiny House Nation. Last week, I had a little extra time in my schedule and I got to catch up on Hometown. Now, I don't know if you know this show, but this is the best of all the shows, I think, on HGTV. (laughs) Partly because, did you know that Ben is a preacher's kid? And did you know that they go to the Methodist Church in Laurel, Mississippi? So they are United Methodists. Now, I love this show because it is just so, every, every time they do it, every week, it's just so interesting to me. And when I watch this show, I think to myself, you know, maybe I should move to Laurel, Mississippi. <laughs> Which is kind of weird, right? You know, we live here in Southern California. But I do remember when Fixer Upper was on with Chip and Joanne, I also thought about moving to Waco, Texas. So at least... <laughs> Right, at least I am consistent here. So what all of these shows have in common is that they are about restoration. They are about taking a house that has usually seen better days, and oftentimes they have to actually take it down to the studs in order to bring it back, in order to create something new and beautiful. And this is what Lent is actually all about. Lent is about how God restores us. And that's why our theme for this season of Lent is restored. Lent is the season that happens right before Easter. And it's the season where you and I are invited to live into what God has done for us in the cross that God has restored us, that God has made us new. Each week we have been looking at how God does this work of restoration, not only in our lives, but in the lives of everyone in the world, how he seeks to do this. And the first week we talked about restoring where we stand. And we talked about the posture that we should have as we come into this season, uh, a posture of openness to God and what he wants to do with us, a posture of humility. And then the second week, we talked about restoring with whom we stand. And we looked at how Jesus' work on the cross calls you and I past having an us and them mentality, how we are invited to make space at the table for everyone. Then our third week, we talked about being restored by healing. 
And we've looked at, do we want to be healed? What stops us from letting God do his healing work in us? And we talked about how when God heals us, oftentimes he does it in unexpected ways. Last week, we talked about how the Holy Spirit restores us. And this is through an invitation to be born anew, born again, born from above, and how this is really the call of the spiritual life to live into what the Spirit wants to do through us. Today, we are going to talk about restoring our hearts with love. So let's hear today's text. This is from John 12. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, with whom he had raised from the dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and he kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, usually Lent is this season, a time of denial, where we might um, not have certain food or not have certain drink. Uh, We might give of our time in a special way, maybe some service or maybe additional uh, devotional time or Bible reading. So extravagance and pleasure, they aren't usually ideas that we associate with Lent. Mary of Bethany, though, had a different understanding, didn't she? You may know about the Mary we hear about in today's text. She was part of a family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were friends of Jesus. Her brother Lazarus was the one who was raised from the dead, and in fact, it was the raising of Lazarus that pushed the leaders who were at odds with Jesus to plan his death. But Mary is probably most famously known from the scripture where she sits at the feet of Jesus while Jesus teaches upsetting her sister Martha, who needs help in preparing the meal. Now, if you ever want to remember the difference, which is which, Mary versus Martha, always think the one who's busy doing all the stuff is Martha, just like Martha Stewart, okay? That's how I always remember it. So here she is in this text. Mary is sitting there at the feet of Jesus, anointing him with this costly perfume, 
wiping his feet with her hair. Imagine that. Imagine being there in that moment, sitting at the table with these people who were so important in Jesus' life, watching Mary as she took this expensive perfume, poured it out on Jesus, and wiped it off with her hair. It was an act of extravagant love. What is the most loving thing someone has done for you? When I was thinking about this, I remembered um, an incident from my childhood. I got my driver's license like most kids when I was 16 and my parents gave me an old station wagon to drive. You can kind of see it in the corner. This was the house I grew up in. And my first year driving the station wagon, I totaled it. But before I did that, I hit it with a pole. In fact, I got my driver's license on a Friday, on Monday, on my way to school, I pulled into the gas station. And you know how they have those poles between the gas pumps so you don't hit a gas pump? That's the pole I hit. My father came down to the gas station, and he really just lost his mind. That's like the most polite way I can say it. He just came unglued. He told me that he was going to go down to the DMV later that day and get the guy who gave me my license fired. <laughs> so, when six months later, I totaled the car, I figured things were not going to go well for me. But my dad, he had compassion. And not too long after that, he bought me a used car. It was smaller and easier for me to drive. This second photo is me sitting on my B210 with my mom. This was for me an act of love, and I, like you, have experienced these acts of love throughout our life. Now, sometimes these acts of love shape us for the reason that we don't deserve them. I certainly didn't deserve my father trying one more time and getting me another car. But yet he did it. In our text today, of course, Jesus was worthy of the attention and the love that he was shown. But still, Mary is given a hard time for her gesture of extravagant love. Let's go back and look at one piece of the text a little more deeply. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was in it into what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. 
You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. So Mary stands in contrast to Judas. Mary shows love, while Judas shows disgust. She gives what she has, whereas he is a thief who wants more. She is lavish. He is stingy. She is true. He is false. And she is generous in her devotion while he is greedy and self-serving. And it's easy, as we think about these two, to put Mary in one camp and Judas in another. But I wonder if we aren't better served by seeing how we are all a little bit Mary and a little bit Judas. God knows our hearts, and he knows that to restore us with his love, that we are a broken people, and that some of us will be like Mary and turn toward him, while others of us will be like Judas and turn away. We talked about who Mary was. Who was Judas? Well, Judas was one of the 12 disciples. He was the treasurer of the group. He was upset with Jesus because he believed that the mission should be about reclaiming and getting rid of this invading power, the Romans. So he was frustrated that Jesus was taking his message in a different direction. He betrayed Jesus with a kiss, and he received 30 pounds of silver for that, 30 pieces of silver for that. But upon hearing that Jesus was going to be crucified, he tried to return the money, and then he hung himself. We have these two contrasting people, Mary, Judas, Mary's extravagant gift, and Judas's upcoming betrayal. So what does this mean for us? What does this say to us today? I think first it says that love is about extravagance. The whole season of Lent is about God seeking to restore us to himself, creating in us once more this light that shines in us because his image and likeness is within us all. God is always working, and nothing stops that work, not even death on the cross. Talk about extravagant love. The book that we've been using, and if you're in a small group, you may be using the book that is for this uh, series. It's called Restored by Tom Berlin, and it talks a lot about the concept of grace. And so I want to talk a little bit about grace because I think it helps us understand love a little better. 
God's grace is what is given to each of us that helps us understand love because grace is this extravagant idea that God's unmerited favor fills our lives. It starts with the grace that goes before us. This is the grace that opens doors for us even before we may know God. And then next is the grace that shows us our lives, helps us to see not only who we are, but who God calls us to be. And then finally, grace is what changes us, freeing us from sin so that our lives are grounded in love. God's grace, it does all of this for us. And this is an extravagant thing that God gives to all humankind. And in our story today, we see a more human example of this, right? We see Mary and her extravagant gift of love. And so let me ask you, as you think about the people in your own life, when was the last time you showed a bit of extravagant love? When was the last time you did something that the person you did it for, said it to, was astounded? What do you need to share this week with somebody? What do you need to say to them that maybe you haven't said in a while? Do it. Because love is about extravagance. Now, I, I know this can be risky. It's risky for God. Because we often reject God. But still, God calls us. And he invites us to do the same. One of the ways that God restores his image in us, I believe, is by our sharing this extravagant love. Because when we share this extravagant love, we are learning to love like God. Next. Love calls us to humility. One of the biggest problems in our relationships is probably that we think we know better. We think we know better. Last week, Jeff and I were in the kitchen, my husband Jeff, we were in the kitchen talking about how to keep the kitchen neater. You ever had that conversation with your spouse? My philosophy is, I am happy to take all of the dishes and put them in the sink, but make sure the counters are spotless. Jeff's philosophy is all the dishes need to be washed and put away, but the counter can be a sticky mess. (laughs) Now, usually, this idea that he has and I have works in our favor, right? Because I'm all about the counter, and he's all about getting the dishes away. Last week, Jeff broke the unspoken rule of putting important papers on the kitchen counter. You never put important papers on the kitchen counter because they could get what? Wet. And they would be ruined. Who would do such a foolish thing? So I went on and on about it. I tried to prove my point in numerous ways. 
I tried to convince him how much better I knew about this. And you, if you've met Jeff, you know he's just like a really patient guy. He's like the totally patient guy. He's like, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. <laughs> I had this feeling I had to school him because he needed to be more like me. But I was wrong. You know, humility is that part of love that reminds us that. We all stand on equal footing in this life. And even though we may see the world very differently or the kitchen counter, we can still respect and listen to one another. I mean, that's the mistake that Judas made in this. He was disappointed in Jesus, and that grew his arrogance because he thought he knew better than Jesus. And of course, he did not. So where do you need to embrace humility as you love others? Where do you need to listen a little more to open up to the fact that you might not be right? To be willing to put aside your preferences, knowing that your preferences are just as valid as somebody else's preferences. Third, love restores our faith. Last week, Pastor Michelle and I announced that we would be finishing up our time with you and that you would be receiving new pastors starting July 1st. This, of course, has not been easy for us. We love serving as your pastors, and we also know it is not easy for you as well. When it became clear to us that things were going to change, me because of um, my health and Michelle because she's ready uh, for her next step and to have her own church, we took those steps to listen to God and to hear what God was saying to us and to have faith that God was in charge. And most importantly, we both believe that to know God's love is to know that God loves this church even more than we do. Knowing God's love in our life enables us to, untru- to, na- enables us to trust the unfolding of life, to believe in the best to have faith in God's future. I mean, think of Mary from our scripture today and her life. First, she's criticized for listening to Jesus instead of helping Martha. And then she sees her brother die and be resurrected. And now she is the only one as she sits at this dinner party knowing that Jesus is nearing the end of his life. And so she takes that amazing perfume and anoints him with it. Her faith and her trust inspire me. My friends, so much in our lives are unknown. And often the best we can do is to lean into the love that seeks to restore our faith, this extravagant love that is for us all.
So this week, how might you choose love? How might you choose love instead of doubt and despair? How might you choose trust and faith in the midst of your lives? Today we have talked about love. We have talked about how it calls, love is about extravagance. That love calls us to humility and that love restores our faith. And at the start of our message, we talked about the image of Mary anointing Jesus' feet. And I invited you to imagine what it would be like to be there. As we look at this text, I think it's easy to get stuck on Judas and what he's up to. But what I invite you to do this week is to instead keep this image of Mary anointing Jesus, her devotion to him. Keep that in your mind. And remember that love restored her and love restores us all. Let us pray.